Well, good morning, Redeemer. So glad that you're with us. I'm lead pastor Paul Hahn, and we are so enjoying the pastors, Matt and I, and all the staff in working through the book of Acts, the story of the church. We're taking a little leap ahead this Sunday for the Labor Day weekend to have a sermon on work, to see how the gospel can come to us in our work. This is a little sort of hinge passage. A little bit later, we were in chapter 13. We're skipping over to 18. We'll go back. Don't worry, we won't miss some good stuff in the middle. But here's a little hinge passage as Paul leaves Athens and comes to Corinth, and we get this little vignette on work and how he's looking to the Lord's grace and his work and how we can too. Acts 18, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you that you are a worker. Father, you worked to make the worlds. Jesus, you worked as the living word of God coming forth, the spoken word of God and making the worlds. Holy Spirit, you worked creating order out of the chaos and the beginnings of creation. God, you are a worker. Thank you that we can rest in your work for us, not only making the world, but redeeming us. Jesus, your amazing work of redemption is complete. And we thank you, O Lord. We thank you also that we have the privilege to work together under you, even with you, O God, to be your fingers, your hands, your feet, doing good work of the kingdom in the world. Lord, work can be so hard for us. We can be so beaten down or discouraged there, undone there, consumed there. Come into these spaces of our work and give us fresh grace this day. We pray it all, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, ever since I've been a little boy, uh, Friday has been my favorite day of the week. You finished a school week and whatever homework or assignments or projects your teachers gave you, right, you could sort of put them off. Monday was still a long way away, right? You could deal with that later on maybe Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. But Friday night was so full of this opportunity, right? to celebrate and enjoy, to play outside with friends, to watch your favorite television shows, to think about waking up on Saturday and having the whole day ahead to enjoy friends and the weekend. I I still love Fridays. It kind of works the same way for me. Sunday is far enough off that Friday afternoon I can kind of pretend like it's not really coming, right? You know, and uh, and I can just kind of enjoy my family and friends. And this Friday was was no exception. You know, Fran's been in Birmingham, Alabama, helping our youngest daughter, Bailey, with her new baby girl, Mary Jane, and her 17-month-old girl, Kid, and her husband, Sterling, and, and Fran's doing full-time grandmothering there. So I went kind of midweek through yesterday and went and saw my mother, 
in North Carolina. My oldest daughter, who cares for her and her family, went on a little trip. So I was the caregiver. And Mom and I had fun. And I just kind of took off Friday and, um, and just kind of enjoyed the day, got things done that she wanted to get done. And we went to a lovely restaurant Friday night and sat outside on this amazing, breezy beginning of fall evening there in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, it was awesome. And then I just watched tennis. And I saw, you know, stayed up to one in the morning watching Novak Djokovic come back from two sets to love down to win in five sets. It was amazing. I love the U.S. Open this time of year and college football starting and baseball season and full swing. It's, it's just so fun. Uh, it reminded me, though, Friday night as I was watching of last year's U.S. Open tennis. And last year on a Friday was Serena Williams, the greatest female tennis player, maybe the greatest tennis player, period, of all time, having her last match at the U.S. Open. And she fought hard to the end and, and went down to Ija Tomjanovic. And, uh, and uh, there was the celebration afterwards, the films are embracing Venus and talking about her mom and dad. And it was just so moving. And she did her little Serena twirl at the end, you know, just really is so memorable. But the part that I remember most a year later is how hard Serena worked in that match, her very last tennis match. She worked so hard. She had five match points against her and fought them all off till she finally went down. She raced in more to the net than I'd ever seen her in her whole career. Serena worked hard till the end. Athletes work hard, you know. Authors work hard. My favorite author is J.R.R. Tolkien and his kind of Summa masterpiece work, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It took him 18 years to produce that. A lot of it was written during the war years in Great Britain. He had to write on scraps of paper, leftover exam books of leftover exam booklets of his students because paper was rationed. Uh, he wrote around air raids, you know, and bombings. It took him 12 years to write the three and then six more years to get them all edited just the way he wanted and published with all the charts and the maps and the appendices till it finally gets all out 18 years later, 1937 to 1955. And in all that, Tolkien worked. He worked, worked so hard at times he collapsed, worked so hard at times he just had to quit for a season, but he kept working to see it all the way through. I love when we get to enjoy the fruit of workers, athletes or authors or architects, bankers or builders or bakers, or somebody said, Paul, you didn't say lawyers last time, so barristers, I'll put in another B for lawyers, right? You know, um, but wherever you are, I, in any field, I, I love the work and the fruit that can come from it, right? But, but Labor Day, is to celebrate that, yet and, and yet Labor Day is a time where we also think, man, I'm so glad I'm not working tomorrow if we get the day off. Because work is hard. And work can overwhelm us. It can crush us. It can spin out of control. It can start to wobble so badly it gets completely out of orbit or off the tracks, and we're left with just a crushing mess in front of us, and maybe we've got crushed in the process, too. We spend most of our lives, even as students, right, if that's our work, 
working. And I'm just so sorry. Just hear an apology from the church as a whole, me personally and the church as a whole. We don't talk enough about work. We don't talk about the gospel in your work. We're not in that space enough. And I'm just sorry. And so this is an expression of repentance in that direction. How can we find fresh grace for our work from Jesus? Let's think about four application points of that. Fresh grace comes to us, first of all, when we remember that God himself is a worker. God is a worker, and that's a gracious reality. Let's go back to our text, right? We find Paul coming from Athens, and he's made it to Corinth, and he meets some new friends, Priscilla and Aquila there, and he's staying with them. And he begins Sabbath by Sabbath to reason with Jews in the synagogue about the risen Christ. And that Sabbath by Sabbath rhythm there that's in synagogue life is a reminder that behind all of reality is God's own work. That God made the world in the space of six days, and on the seventh day, the first Sabbath, He rested. He rested from all of His labors of creating by fiat speech all that's in existence. He kept working in a sense ruling over everything and sustaining everything and blessing everything. But God rested six days of labor for God even and then rest. It's a picture that God is a worker. The Father has decreed all that comes to pass and carries it out by His works of creation and providence by making the universe and ruling over all things in the universe right? The sun was there in creation, the living Word of God that God used to speak the words, worlds into being, who's also there doing the great work of redemption for us, right? Coming into the world for us to live and die and rise again, for us to finish a great work of salvation so we could find rest and blessing with God. The Spirit's a worker, right? They're at creation in the beginning, hovering over the waters, making order out of the chaos. And the Spirit keeps working in us today as the people of God, right? Ordering our lives, renewing our lives, giving us faith and binding us to Jesus and to the people in His body, growing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. God is a worker. And so what that means is, just at the most basic level, you and I have the privilege of being workers too as people made and renewed by the gospel in the image of God. We get to be workers too, under God and with God. Stunning. It's amazing. Uh, I, I, I've told you several times I love classical music. I um, had it on this morning, uh, Bach on this morning when someone popped in. But uh, my favorite study music is um, just one particular expression uh, of Bach. It is Yo-Yo Ma playing the six Bach cello suites uh, at the proms in Royal Albert Hall in 2015. And um, it's three hours almost, two and a, two hours plus of live music with a small intermission that Yo-Yo Ma performs doing these cello suites. And when you 
watch the videos as well as listen to the music. It's just stunning. He is working. He's flying up and down the strings. He is sweating all over the place. He is just giving his whole being over this. You can just sense the hours and the years and the decades of practice that go underneath that to create that beauty. Bach himself, father of 20 children, Christian, church musician, um, wrote new pieces every week to be sung. And every piece that he wrote, whether it was church music or for other, you know, patrons or just for the public, he always signed it down in the bottom, Soli Deo Gloria, all for the glory of God. Just the sense that there is this beauty and honor in doing your work for God. Do you ever think about that? I'm in the holy work business and I don't think about that very much. I think about work being hard, being a grind, being too much at times. Sometimes I celebrate when it's fruitful and good, but I just have this overwhelming deficit, really, of failing to stop and say, my work is a privilege. My work is good because God is good. And I get to image God here. Look at the little poem in the front of the bulletin we did for you in the reflection section. This is one of my favorites, Anglican priest and poet George Herbert, the elixir. All may of thee partake, nothing can be so mean, which with his tincture for thy sake will not grow bright and clean. A servant with this clause makes drudgery divine, who sweeps a room as for thy laws makes that and the action fine. This is the famous stone that turneth all to gold, for that which God doth touch and own cannot for less be told. God is a worker. God is above work. God created work. So don't worship your work. Don't let your work dominate you and control you. You are far more than your work, but you are not less than your work. And your work, done out of love for God, celebrating the privilege of imaging God, redeemed by the grace of God in Jesus, is good and beautiful and a privilege. Meditate on that today, tomorrow, as we head back into working mode beyond that. God is a worker. There's grace there. Secondly, all work, therefore, with God is good. All of it is. So we meet Paul here, right? And he's preaching and teaching and engaging in the synagogues, right, with the Jews. But he's also making tents. Really, he's spending more of the time in this passage working, making tents than he does preaching or evangelizing here. And all of it is good. Somehow Paul along the way, getting his great rabbinical training before becoming a Christian, you know, being in the in Jew, you know, in, in, in the synagogue, religious sort of elite, right? And then becoming this, this itinerant evangelist, right? Somewhere in there along the way, maybe through childhood or youth, or he learns the trait of tent making. And he's sewing tents out of leather. And that's good. Here's Priscilla and Aquila. They're going to be people used of God 
uh, to later help Apollos, who's a great preacher, better understand the gospel and better preach the gospel and more truthfully and effectively and, and powerfully preach the gospel, right? But they're making tents and welcoming Paul with hospitality into their home. And that work is good. There is no sacred, secular divide in terms of the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. In terms of work and everything else, there is no sacred and secular divide for all of us as workers. My work that I do as a pastor, preacher, Matt's, Victor's, Bryant's, all of our staff here, it is not more holy and valuable than the work you may do as a teacher or a mother and homemaker or a farmer or a chemist or an architect or an engineer or a police officer or in the military as a soldier. It is all done, all done, to the glory of God, by the grace of God in us. What makes it valuable and good, right, is our sense that we are imaging God and we are offering this work up as our offering of praise to Him. As one of the illustrations there said from Brother Lawrence, don't demean the small things. Don't demean the small things. Embrace them. It is the love of God to you and through you that makes them great. All work is good. No, there's no sacred, secular. There's no two small things to do. It's all done to God's glory. Let me tell you something that I started saying to college students way back when I was like hold as a campus minister working at Auburn University 30 years ago and more. And I believe it now more than, than I did even then. And that is this one of the best things that we can do to image God, to present God to the world, to evangelize, yes, but just be people of the kingdom of God together with Jesus is to do good, honest work that people can depend upon, that blesses others, offered to the glory of God, out of the love of God to you. It's your expression of love to God back. Trustworthy, honest work that is dependable and good and excellent and beautiful. It is one of the best things that you can do in the kingdom of God. Believe that. Embrace that. It's true. We need the grace of the gospel in our work to realize God is a worker, that all work under him is good. There's none too small. There's no sacred secular. Thirdly, that the struggles we face in our work can be part of God's plan to, to work graciously through us too. Think about the struggles related in this text. Paul's left Athens. He's left the intellectual center of the world. If there were anywhere that you would think about that Paul would have stayed for a long, long, long time, I would have thought it would have been Athens. Yes, we get his famous speech in the Areopagus and all of the interactions around that and how he, how he connects with, with the, the elite philosophers of the world pressing Jesus and the resurrection on them. But there's not a lot of fruit in Athens. And Paul doesn't seem to stay there very long. And, and God sort of closes the door there 
to send him over to Corinth where he's going to stay a long time. And people prepared to receive Paul, Priscilla and Aquila, they're there only because there is persecution of Jewish peoples going on throughout Italy that Claudius the emperor has pressed this on them. And they've met challenge and affliction in their trade and in their life, and they land in Corinth. And this connectivity, this synergy through affliction and trial is what sets up a great new missionary avenue for Paul. I think about some of my heroes in life, people that I've just read about and studied. John Wooden is arguably, really unarguably, the best college basketball coach. I would argue the greatest basketball coach at any level, anywhere, anytime. Won 11 national championships at University of California in Los Angeles, UCLA. He was a total bust as a coach at Purdue. Total failure, got run out of town, and he lands at UCLA, which sets him up for this amazing run, and he does it as a Christian, seeking to do it to the glory of God. I, I think about Teddy Roosevelt, one of our greatest presidents. The only reason that he becomes president is because all the political powers wanted to sideline him. All the powers within his party hated him. He, he was this, this brazen, boisterous, kind of this, this windbag of a man, right, who's been governor of New York and on the police commission in New York City, and he's been assistant secretary of the Navy. He's actually been this accidental, crazy, oddball, kind of backwards way hero in, in the Spanish-American War. And, and here he is. We just got to get rid of this guy. Let's make him vice president. Let's completely sideline him, which God uses to put him in place when President McKinley is shot and assassinated and dies, and it just allows for the rise of Theodore Roosevelt into this space at such a critical time for America. Where does God, and he did it as a Christian too, by the way, where, where does God taking you. Maybe you're in that space right now. You know, I just went through this. I, I've done a lot of things in my pastoral career. I, one of the last things I did, you know, was I was heading up this missions agency for our denominational group mission in North America. And I was just crummy at that job. <laughs> I, I tried really hard. I felt called to it. I just, I was not good. The only part I felt I was good at was when I was visiting churches. <laughs> and, uh, God used it, though, to reposition me, to make me in place to go to Los Angeles and then to come here. And my prayer is that I can just spend the rest of my days in the local church, serving, doing. God uses these things to place you. Take heart in that. Reflect on that in your own journey if you've been around long enough. But also know this, God will use the trials and the afflictions in your work to make you ready to really be the light for him he wants you to be. To let the cracks come in your pottery so the light of the gospel shines through the cracks in our earthen vessel so that we really begin to believe strength comes in our weakness as Jesus' strength 
emanates through us. When you are beaten down and struggling and when it's not fruitful in the workplace, that may be the time that you most can do good things for the kingdom as you endure by faith, as you trust Jesus in that space by faith, as you give and serve and seek to do justice and mercy in that space. That may be where God most wants to place you. There is grace in the gospel in our work as God is a worker, as we realize that all work is good, as we realize that even struggles and challenges and afflictions are part of that goodness. And then lastly, as we rest before we work. The beauty of the gospel is Jesus has done a work that is finished. The beauty of the gospel is is that no longer does the Christian church have to worship at the end of the week after all the work is done, then we rest. No, we rest in the beginning of the week. We celebrate at the beginning of the week, at the beginning of each day. This wonder that we get to rest in the finished work of Jesus for us. Before we work, we rest. And so while we're working, right, it can be done out of this rest. It can be done out of this vibrancy and this belonging to God. It frees you, as, as Keller says in the little quote there, this privilege of resting in God through the gospel, that you realize that not only are you the fingers of God pressing His goodness out into the world with doing good work in Jesus' name, but you also are freed from the crushing dynamics of having defined yourself by your work or totalize your life by your work or be nothing more than your work. You rest. You rest in Him. That's why the pinnacle of this service, as Matt will just lead us in a moment, is at this table where we rest and feast with the one who has worked for us. This Labor Day, if you get a day off, even if you don't, <laughs> revel in that rest that is yours in Jesus and work out of that in His name to His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You, thank You, thank You for this gospel for workers like all of us. Lord, I said in the beginning of the message that my favorite day is Friday, and, and in some ways it, it is, but my favorite day has really become, as I get older, Sunday, because it's the day where we remember that we always get to rest in you, and we get to just lean into this grace that is all-sufficient, this space of rest and gladness and joy. So Lord, I pray for any here that have not yet known that, have not come to faith in embracing you, Lord, give them a rest today. For those of us who've been struggling, who functionally have been living like work is everything, our identity, our hope, Lord, free us from those shackles, free us from those burdens, and may we rest in you today. And may we engage work under you and with you as a good thing to your glory, even when there are challenges. Lord, be with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.